Let's go to line two and bring in uh, Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott from Washington State University. Uh, Linda, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Okay. Um, what's it like uh, in Washington on this fine Sunday morning? It's actually sunny. Really? And cool. Yes, it's, it's going to be a great day to be outside. Take a picture. Yeah, that didn't happen very often out there. <laughs> Not this time of year. Uh, no. Uh, and uh, on the other line, I have uh, Jeff Gilman from the University of uh, Minnesota. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Uh, I've not had that pleasure yet. Uh, Dr. Chalker Scott has been on the program a couple of times. Once when I was uh, at uh, another radio station, who shall remain nameless, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and and even here. Uh, uh, and uh, Jeff, you've been on my radar for several years um, with uh, an, uh, about a number of books that you've written, um, such as The Truth About Garden Remedies, What Works, Why, What Doesn't, and Why, How the Government Got in Your Backyard, uh, Decoding Gardening Advice, um, and on and on. It's, uh, so it's, it's great to, to have you here. Um, and the two of you are one half of something called The Garden Professors. That's uh, right. Uh, I'll let you, Jeff, explain. How did the garden professors come about? Uh, well, uh, a few years ago, well, I said a few years ago, almost four years ago now, uh, Linda and I got together with uh, Holly Scoggins at uh, Virginia Tech and Bert Craig at Michigan State, and we decided that we wanted to put together a blog just kind of talking about what uh, professors who, who work with uh, plants uh, do kind of on a day-to-day basis, and what we think about. So we put together that blog. It's at www.gardenprofessors.com. And since that time, we've uh, put together a Facebook page, and we're actually working on uh, on a few other things, too. So um, it's just a group of professors that are, you know, actually interested in talking to people. Well, not just talking to people. Uh... <laughs> hopefully, hopefully educating them a little bit and receiving some education in return. Yeah, and 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 that's the point is uh, uh, that uh, you folks uh, are interested very much in science. As a matter of fact, uh, when I talked to uh, Dr. Uh, Linda Chalker Scott, um, she is the one who always blinded me with science, uh, and she does. Uh, and and uh, you guys are are in a little bit, uh, I would say. Um, a little bit notorious for for uh, being very um, straightforward, and um, you know, I'll give an example. Um, just the other day, I, I I mentioned on a Facebook site. It's a, a site uh, for gardeners, and uh, and I I said uh, the uh, garden professors were going to be on my radio show, and then suddenly this uh, conversation about compost tea erupted uh and the fur was flying um and 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 i read some stuff that uh you've said actually uh jeff about linda uh and compost tea uh, that really is kind of um it it gets your goat doesn't it linda compost tea claims <laughs> it does because it's just one of those things it won't go away um you know, it's probably the thing that I get more questions on by email than anything else. And Jeff and I are, you know, continue to, to, to fight the good fight for science. And, and frankly, if 
if and when there's good science on it, Jeff and I will be the first ones to be promoting it. But right now, it's just not there. Well, let's let's go into that just a little bit, okay? Um, because, um, yeah, you know, compost tea is is uh, a controversial subject. Um, if you had asked me four or five years ago, uh, was this a good thing, I might have said yes. I might have said, uh, let's, uh, yeah, sure, you know, knock yourself out. Um, and, and I have become more critical, and not just because of you, Linda, but I've gone to conferences where people have talked about compost tea. And, and I should explain that compost tea is basically taking compost and, and accelerants like, uh, sugars and that sort of thing, and you, and you, and you put the uh, compost in, uh, uh, distilled water. Uh, the idea is that you have water that has dis- is distilled or has had the chlorine gassed off or that sort of thing. Um, and the reason you're doing that, and it's, and it's a cold process, um, and it's an uh, aerobic process where you get a, a bubbler and you put it in there and then you bubble the stuff for 12 hours or 24 hours or 36 hours, depending on what you're trying to create. Uh, and the theory is that it increases the microbial activity tenfold or twentyfold or however much, and then when you p- apply that to your garden, you're not giving the garden nutrients. You're giving your garden biology. All right, all right, Linda. What's wrong with that? Well, um, there's a lot wrong with it actually. In in, uh, in in the position that I've found myself in, I get a lot of manuscripts to review that, that then get published in the peer-reviewed um, literature. And what's, what's interesting is that, especially the last few I've, I've received, they've, they've looked at the biology of the compost they're using as the feedstock for the compost tea, and they're comparing what's in it to what actually turns, uh, you know, comes up in the compost tea in terms of nutrients and microbes and nematodes and everything else. And it's orders of magnitude greater in the compost. So what you're actually doing when you're making compost tea is diluting the power of the biology in the compost into this, this kind of watery supplement. And as, as Jeff and I have, have continuously said, you know, use compost. Compost is great stuff. I've started calling it slow food because it, you know, it, it slowly leaches nutrients and, and um, water through the system. There's microbes there. They have something to eat, and you have to realize that if you're spraying compost tea onto bare soil, what are those microbes going to eat? I mean, it's 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 a pro, it's, it's taking what's a completely natural and um, sustainable process, which is compost feeding the soil, and turning it into something that really isn't sustainable. And I do have to point out, is is really resource wasting. I mean, you've got to have um, aeration going on continuously. You've got all these these supplements you're putting in. Some of them, like bat guano and kelp meal, are not harvested sustainably. I mean, there's there's a lot wrong with the picture. It's interesting because uh, just a couple of years ago, I went to a conference where uh, some arborists uh, from a reputable tree company uh, talked about compost tea and and said, you know, we've been looking at this and checking the numbers, and right now we're not seeing the numbers um, that compost, uh, straight compost, as you pointed out, Linda, is actually the best thing to do. It's just put compost down, and then you don't have to fool with all this other stuff. And they were saying they were trying to figure out if the compost tea formulas worked, but their tests showed that they didn't see an appreciable uh, benefit from the use of compost tea. And, you know, there's a lot of my friends in the business who swear by compost tea, and there's people I know who use it uh, and and swear by it, uh, and they're... 
Um, you know, I, I guess what you, you've been saying is, okay, show me the numbers. Where are the numbers? Exactly. Um, so why don't we have numbers? That would be my next question. Why don't we have more studies? Why, why, why has there not been a definitive study on compost tea? Jeff, answer this one. <laughs> let's go back and forth. It's yeah, let's put let's put Jeff on the hook sure. here. Yeah, I'd, no, I'd be I'd be happy to. Um, there are no <laughs> there are no numbers on it. There is no definitive study because there will never be a, a definitive study. There are simply too many ways to make the compost tea um, for the proponents of compost tea to ever to ever give up. I mean, there really are. You know, I have a friend who did who did do a study on compost tea out of, out of Wisconsin, and she was told simply that she had made the compost tea incorrectly, despite the fact that she followed every single criteria that was given to her. She either had the wrong compost, or she was bubbling it wrong, or she didn't add enough of one nutrient or another. So there's just so many arguments to make. The thing is, when we actually do have published studies of compost tea applied um, out in the uh, out in the out in the field, you just don't see the results. I mean, you, you don't even really usually see modest results. You usually see absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I, I want to back up what Linda said before about the problems, but let me let me tell you the big problem. It's actually easy to imagine when you look at it this way. Let's take your whole viewing audience. Uh, Thousands of people, or Actually, viewing audience, listening audience. Yeah, you know, we'll call them what we want to call them. Uh, we'll call it thousands. Hundreds of thousands. Yes. Why not? <laughs> right. yeah, please, say, please. Let's say we've got a few hundred thousand people, and we drop them right into the middle of the Sahara Desert. Are they going to build a new civilization? No, they're going to be dead. Okay, it's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. They're going to be dead because there's nothing there for them. If you take microbes from compost tea, and hey, compost tea is going to make something or other. I don't think it, everything it makes is good, but it's, it's going to breed something or other. If you throw those out into the middle of a place where they can't live, they're not going to live. They're going to die. End of story. I mean, it's actually very simple to break down why compost tea isn't likely to, to be effective in most situations. Because they have to have some place where they can thrive, exactly is, is what you're saying. And exactly, and it, and I have to admit that when I hear the argument and people say, as you just did, Linda, which is use compost. That's the stuff. That's where the biology is. That's where the structure is. That's where the tilth is. I think mm, I can't really argue with that. So, all right, that is, uh, this is how we start with Dr. Linda Chalker Scott and Jeff. Do you, do you have a, oh, by the way, I have to ask you too. Um, you're both associate professors. Uh, your, your colleagues, um, at, uh, the garden professors, uh, Dr. Holly Scoggins and, uh, um, and Dr. Bert Craig are also associate professors. When do I get a real professor? <laughs> subject. <laughs> Holly, Holly's going up for full professor this year, I believe, so hopefully very soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't mean, I, didn't, I didn't mean to bust you there. I just thought it was kind of funny. It's like, you guys obviously know a lot of stuff that you know, you'd think that you'd, you'd get a promotion at some point. You know? Well, you know, I, I will actually address that because um, I, I've decided that I just am not going to bother going up. The way things have evolved at, at my particular university is it is now required when you go up for full professor to have significant outside grant funding, which brings in overhead dollars. What Jeff and I and the rest of us do 
doesn't generate big grants because we don't do things that have to do with food and fiber, and that's what the USDA funds. So I can't generate the, the types of money that I need to to go up for full professor. So I will be stuck at associate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you say you don't do the things that generate that, that kind of revenue, what are the things you do? How would you ex- uh, explain it? Well, I, I do extension outreach. I mean, that's I'm 100% extension. I still do research. You know, I generate small funds for doing small projects. I support graduate students, but I don't have multi-million dollar grants because that's not the uh, you know the type of stuff that I do. The urban horticulture, arboriculture things that have to do with with real life gardens and landscapes. That's not of interest to big funding. Um, organizations. All right, I, I, that's, just, that's just the way it is. I've got a, a, a point to make about that in a second, but I'll tell you what, since you did uh, say you're an extension, you're an outreach person, um, we've got a, a call on the line. Do you guys mind answering a question from one of my listeners? Not at all. Okay, I figure if, if you guys can't answer it, we're, it, we're, done, we're done. We're doomed, okay? <laughs> so uh, let's go to line one and bring in Mike uh, in Waukegan. You're on the Mike Novak Show. Good morning. Hi, well, Mike. How you doing? All right. How's everybody doing? There? We're, we're yeah. having fun so far. Hey, great. Well, I, you know, my my question is kind of maybe off the wall a little bit, but I uh, I live on a slight hill, and I got an old leaky basement. The foundation's bad, and uh, I've got a large tree in the backyard. It's at least two uh, feet in diameter. And, uh, Do you happen to know what kind of tree it is? I, I'm not sure. I think it might be a locust, but uh, it's uh, I really don't know. Uh, and um, it, it, the branches break off pretty easily, if that tells you anything. And, uh, if, if there are any wind, wind of any kind, there's usually uh, small branches and sometimes larger ones, you know. But it um, it. Uh, what I what I need to do is if I want to uh, minimize the flooding, I, I go ba- in the backyard with a wheelbarrow and a snow shovel, and I shovel the backyard and just uh, transfer the snow to the front yard. And I'm wondering if that uh, will harm the tree. Now the tree is nearer of the fence, about uh, uh, maybe a couple yards from the fence, and the roots can they go under the fence into the other yard. Can will get the moisture, full moisture of the snow there, but I clear off what I got or have been, and I'm I'm kind of concerned about whether or not that will, uh, um, you know, uh, not allow the tree to get the moisture that it needs in the winter. You know, a tree that's uh, two feet in diameter is not going to have any problem uh, spreading its roots, or it already has its roots spread far enough that uh, all the shoveling you can do is not gonna is not gonna hurt. That. It won't, huh? No, no. Oh. Oh, I mean, good. you're just moving snow, right? Right. Yeah, just moving snow like that is not going to be a big... The tree The tree will handle it, no problem. You know, what I'm thinking, Jeff, is that um, he's moving snow probably to where the tree roots extend anyway. <laughs> it's entirely well, possible. Well, it'd be in the front yard. I mean, you know... Yeah, but do, do you know how far... House that, so I don't think it, they could reach the house, out that far. But, yeah, the house would probably block the roots. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Other than that, they could probably reach that far if if you have a large enough tree. But uh, Linda, would you care to comment? No, I I agree with Jeff. Um, a tree that's that old and established is not going to have any problem getting moisture. Um, the only thing that that I would worry about, and not knowing what kind of tree, it's kind of hard to tell. But um, is that it, you know snow does also act as an insulative barrier. So if it gets really, really cold and you don't have the snow on top of the, the, the soil there, you're going to get some, some 
freezing of, of fine roots that happen to be up at the surface. Probably never hurt the tree that much, but that would be the only other thing that that, that snow um, layer would provide. So, so even on a year like last year when it was really dry, uh, it's still uh, it's it's only missing maybe like one or just a few rainfalls, I suppose, of the equivalent thereof as far as the snow. Would that be the way to sort of uh, gauge that, or? Um, you know, I, I think that it's actually barely missing a rainfall at all. Um, the thing is, once again, those those roots are going to extend so far um, that I, I don't even think it's going to be missing a rainfall. I really yeah, don't. Like I said, it's getting all the snow on the, in the other yard anyway. So you know, from those roots, um, uh, you know, that would go under the fence to the west. You know, so right. Yeah, so it, it should be okay then, huh? Just maybe keep an eye on it, see if it looks like it's still healthy. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to be fine, uh, Mike. I don't think uh, there's there's a, a problem with that. Now, if you had a, uh, you know, it was a tough year. Uh, the last couple of years have been tough, uh, and, and especially if you had a, a tree you had just planted, uh, you got to pay more attention to that because it hasn't sent out uh, its roots yet. And uh, as Jeff mentioned, this, this tree has uh, is established, and it's kind of capable of taking care of itself not that you shouldn't ever neglect it totally um you know it, it's probably not going to hurt to mulch it um but uh, uh other than that i think you're probably fine yeah I, I got one tree planted in the backyard and i leave snow around it you know that, that covers the well you know within its root ball there so, yeah you know. all right well there you go we yeah, uh we have much i appreciate it all yeah. right you have a good day mike you too now bye-bye Bye. Uh, 773-763-9278 is our telephone number. We are talking to the garden professors, at least one half of the garden professors, Jeff Gilman from the University of uh, Minnesota and Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott from uh, Washington State University. Uh, Here, I'm I'm looking at the line here. I'm looking at the, the questions coming in. This is the perfect question for you, for the two of you. Uh, and let's immediately go to... Um, is it Jr. Uh, Jr. You're on the Mike Novak show. What have you got on your mind? Good morning, Mike. Um, my question would be uh, when talking about composts and organics and food uh, scraps, uh, all the different organics that are be um, what they're feeling on um, biosolids would be. Hey, I think biosolids are great. Thank um, you. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people who don't like the idea of biosolids because we are talking about human waste. Let's be honest. We're talking about human waste. But there are, there are um, thresholds of heavy metals, et cetera, that biosolids have to, have to meet before they're used. Now, I, I'll admit I'm not the biggest proponent of using them on, uh, on edibles. I think they can be. But I personally don't, but I will use them on my lawn. I do use them on my lawn. I do use them on my non-edible crops, and I think they work great. And honestly, what a waste not to use them. So that's my and feeling. I Jeff, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, my, my feeling is uh, I have uh, researched this and talked to some of your colleagues. I, believe, I can't remember who it was several years ago. I talked to a, uh, one of the professors at, I believe, Univers- University of Washington, about biosolids. And uh, over the course of my conversations, uh, J.R., I became convinced that, as Jeff says, it's a waste of resources. And not only that, if we don't figure out how to deal with biosolids, what, what are we going to do with them? You know, we used to dump them in the ocean. You know, we're going to throw them in the rivers. We're going to pile them up in landfills. Uh, we have to treat 
that, that those substances. But I think that's part of the future. Part of the future of this planet is figuring out, out how to deal with all the waste we're creating because uh, last time I looked, the population of the world was only going up. Um, and it's, you know, where, where, it's gonna, where do they say it's going to peak? At 9 billion or something like that in the middle of the century? Uh, or at the end of the century, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I think we have to address that. But as Jeff pointed out, those are uh, issues, the issues of, of uh, heavy metals. What do you say, Jeff, about pharmaceuticals? That seems to be uh, part of that issue that has not been resolved. Yeah, and I, I understand the pharmaceutical issue, particularly antibiotics. Um, I would say that it looks like the antibiotic concentration is pretty low at this point. Um, but that is the one thing that I do find somewhat concerning because it may create a situation where you might get a, a resistant bug in, certain, in a certain situation. I, I don't think it is quite the major concern that some people are making it out to be, but I think that we need to acknowledge that it is an issue. And uh, if we ever see evidence of it having a, a, any kind of an effect, then I think that we ha- need to take steps to try and remove pharmaceuticals um, from the waste before it's used. Uh, but again, at this point, I'm conscious of it, but not that concerned about it. All right, JR, uh, does, does um, that help? Yeah, it's, like you say, it's, it's just something that's it's, it's, uh, fresh, frustrating that people don't understand it or understand the, uh, the work that's been done into it. I mean, we do a lot of work with the Metropolitan Water Reclamation, uh, uh, probably one of the largest facilities in the country, if not the world, uh, testing it. Uh, treating it, uh, doing doing certain things here in Chicago, and uh, I guess one of the you know uh, the famous one at least here with organics and soil products. Being you know I've been doing it for 30 years to have a to have one of my trucks pass uh, pass a truck of biosolids on I-55 going 50 miles one way, and I'm going 50 miles the other way, and uh, you know to you know use it where you lose it. Um, it's just. <laughs> Uh, basically, uh, I yeah, it's just it's it's a it's just a learning curve. People are so afraid of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and that's a good way of putting it, Jr. I agree. It's a learning curve. People are afraid of it. We need uh, again, as you guys mentioned before, to get the science behind it to make sure that we understand that we're not poisoning ourselves. But uh, at this point, Jeff, I I, have, I happen to agree with you that um, I think we need to go down this road. Uh, JR, thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Have a great Sunday. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa Albrecht in studio here. Um, did you want to jump into the conversation? I just had a novice question of, of why is human waste thought of any differently than manure? I mean, if manure is considered to be a, a, a source for nutrients, why... Why is it any different? And then that also raised the question to me for the, uh, you know, about uh, pharmaceuticals. Well, <laughs> we're definitely using pharmaceuticals within livestock. So is that a concern there, too? It can be. It, it can be. But generally, again, the concentrations are so low. And with humans, with with cattle, um, we're generally not using the most advanced antibiotics, whereas with humans, we are mm-hmm. using the most advanced antibiotics. So the theory is that by putting those more advanced antibiotics out in the field, we could breed uh, microbes which would be resistant to them and cause disease. And again, I, I don't see that as a major problem, but it is, it is one that we have to be conscious of. Additionally, um, what you'll find in human waste is, um, for example, antidepressants uh, and various other drugs 
that, that humans ingest uh, regularly. And once again, I don't believe that they're major problems, but it is something for us to be conscious of. Uh, trying to think, the other thing that you'll sometimes see in human waste is, um, is greater amounts of uh, heavy metals because of our diets. Uh, we eat a lot of fish, and you can get a little bit more mercury. It doesn't, again, not usually a problem, but we have to acknowledge that it sometimes it may be an issue in certain specific instances. And, and, and you know, this is the third rail of, uh, of this uh, kind of, of the compost issue. Um, when you talk biosolids in there, are, I've had folks uh, say to me, no way, no how, ever, ever. And I think, well, what are you going to do with it? And you think yeah. it's just more a perception thing of just yuck? It, it, it is. It's the ick factor. And so what, what I've been trying to do is, because is, we have... Um, you know, a couple of producers of biosolids in, in Washington State. And I try to get people to kind of get past the ick factor and say, okay, you, don't, you won't want it near your, your, your vegetable garden, that's fine. Why don't you put it around your, your landscape plants? You know, try it there, cover it up with, with um, compost or wood chips or whatever so you don't even have to look at it. Um, and just try it that way. Uh, those are the garden professors, uh, uh, Jeff Gilman and Linda Chalker-Scott. This is the Mike Novak Show on Chicago's Progressive Talk, AM and FM. And yes, we are a runaway train. Uh, I have on the line with me the garden professors. Uh, you can go to gardenprofessors.com and find out more uh, from their blog. That is the, uh, the URL, right? Gardenprofessors.com, Jeff? Yep, and uh, you know, if you want to go onto Facebook, you can find us on Facebook. Yep, Just, uh, go onto Facebook and type in the Garden Professors, and yep. you'll find us. Leaving a wake of controversy as they go, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and we love every minute. Of I know it, you do. <laughs> you eat that stuff up, don't you? Uh, we I, do. We I, do. And I and I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, say that my friend Annie Haven uh, with uh, Authentic Haven brand soil nutrients um, has been. Uh, posting here uh, she because uh, she she does this thing called mupu tea uh, and uh, I, I'm, I suspect you guys are familiar with her uh, but uh, I just say she's you know she she write, writes here and 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 go to my Facebook page the Mike Novak show she's got information and she uh, uh, talks about biosolids. She said biosolids take a huge amount of chemicals to treat. Uh, here, uh, another article um, is from Beyond Pesticides, uh, herbicide-contaminated manure damages organic crops in Washington State. Yeah, I've heard about that. I've read about that before. Uh, you have to be careful about that. And she says that uh, um, her uh, manure tea doesn't have that because she doesn't use chemicals in her ranch and farm. So uh, that's that's something to take into consideration. Um, you know, I I have to I just did a thing on the uh, care of trees uh, there, and uh, the, the question I have for you is why is it that it's called arborvitae, but uh, for professors you have a curric- curriculum vitae. That's I've never understood that the difference in pronunciation. I'm sorry. That's I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, very interesting. Question. What if you called it curriculum vitae? I think you'd get. <laughs> I think you'd get drummed out of the university. <laughs> uh, sorry. Need, Hal Sparks might be able to comment on that. Uh, which one, uh, Denny? Are we uh, taking next here? Oh, you leaving it up to me. Let's take it uh, to Tom. Line one. Okay, let us go to uh, Tom. Line one, Tom, you're on the Mike Novak Show. Good morning. Well, good morning. 
enjoying, uh, Mike, I'm enjoying a nice warm cup of uh, compost tea here. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say anything about the manure tea. Yeah, but but just think of all the microorganisms that you're sucking up there, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, I've got a question that's related to nothing you folks have been talking about, even though it's been very interesting. Um, You know, when you're checking out at a store like, say, Walgreens or Kmart or something at the checkout counter, they have these little plants that they call palms. Okay, they're about, you know, seven, eight inches tall. And um, uh, and I know it's not really a palm, and I happen to have one that I've had for several years. You're not, Tom, Tom, you're not talking about lucky bamboo, are you? That's what it is, lucky bamboo. Yeah, 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 lucky bamboo, which is really not a bamboo, but continue. Okay, well, uh, my question is, mine's grown to be about six feet tall now, and uh, my uh, one cat, who wow. you know very well, Halo. Um, oh, uh, this is th- th- Tom. Yeah. I, this Tom. Okay. This I, Tom. <laughs> you never call, so I'm glad you're here. I know, and I, and I was going to email you about this, and I thought um, uh, I needed a quicker answer uh, because my cat decides that this um, um, – Whatever it really is, is tasty, and he's starting to eat it. I believe it's a Dracaena, is it not, Linda? Um, I don't think it is. Oh, am I wrong on that? Okay, uh, maybe I thought... The stuff I've, I've seen is Lucky Bamboo is, is not a Dracaena. Oh, but, okay. You know, that's the problem with, with, with common names, and here I am on the other side of the country, so it's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. All right. But uh, go ahead, Tom. Continue. Well, yeah, my, my question was is that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, plants are poisonous to not only cats but dogs and everything else. And I, I wanted to find out what the technical name was for it so I could look it up and see if it's a poisonous plant so I can either put it someplace else so he doesn't eat it or let him eat it and enjoy it. You know? I think it's um, – and I'm basing this on I, – I don't I, – Linda, I'm – uh, mostly work with trees, not so much with uh, house plants. But uh, you know, fortunately, I've got uh, Wikipedia here, and uh, that says it's uh, Dracaena sandriana. Yeah, I'm looking at the very same thing, the Dracaena sandriana, and uh, uh, that's one I'm familiar with. Um, that are that's sold at the checkout lines. So I'm assuming that's what it is. Um, and I'm glad you're online. <laughs> you know, this is a, this is how we work. It's uh, you know, you get on Google and uh, you can you can solve any problem. Um, well, Christine is supposed to be a problem. I mean, I, I I actually have one in my office, and I don't have cats in my office. But um, from what I remember, is that it um, uh, isn't it, is it, Jeff? Isn't it the one called dumb cane? That if you if you eat it, it uh, causes you to lose your voice. It or could, be. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is listed as toxic to pets. To pets, but at the same time. Um, you know, I've looked at a lot of different toxins, a lot of different plants, and uh, the only way to know for sure is to, yeah, I, I guess I would call my vet on that one just to see whether it's uh, some minor nothing type poison or whether it actually is a, a big deal. The only way well, to know is to is to have yeah, them go through the books. At least, at least I've got a name that I can give the vet that uh, that uh, she'll know what I'm yeah. talking about. And just so you know, Dracaena is spelled D-R-A-C-A-E-N-A. Um, I got the D-R-A. What was the rest of that? D-R-A-C-A-E-N-A. Um, and I'm looking at... Uh, huh? it's, 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 they're saying that it can cause some problems on this site that I've gone to. Uh, so you probably do want to check with your vet and see uh, what kind of uh, uh, problem this, this might cause. Is there any way you can keep Halo away from this thing? 
Um, n- not at the moment. It's it's uh, next to a window that he likes to sit at and look outside, looking uh, looking for uh, Legata to come by. <laughs> and, uh, you know what you could do? You, you could pu- you could plant up a little um, container of uh, kitty greens. I mean, they you, you can get either use grass seed or you can use oats and just plant a little container of of greens, and he'd probably enjoy that more anyway. Okay. Yeah. Good idea. You, yeah. you know, that's the way you do it. You distract him with something that's even more uh, delicious. And uh, the, the part about it, if you eat it, uh, causing it to lose your voice, uh, Mike, you should stay away from it. I've already <laughs> lost my... Hey, listen, Tom, you, you got to understand, Tom is a, a radio guy, so uh, he's got the pipes. I don't have those pipes. And by the way, uh, the dumb cane is Diffenbachia. Yep, my husband just corrected me. <laughs> yes. I'm not a taxonomist. I, I, I have no claims to knowing my plants like that. Uh, th- Tom, thank you so much for calling. I appreciate it. And say, well, thanks, for, thanks for the information, Mike, and you have a great show. Keep it up. All right. I appreciate that. Okay, dude. Um, th- by the way, I guess I got, you know, it's a shame. I got to let you guys go. Um, I know we've got a couple. Maybe one. Should we squeeze one more in here, Denny? Sure. Why not? Let's squeeze one more. Uh, with Rick, the- Rick and Cherry Valley. Okay. Let's go for uh, Rick in Cherry Valley. You're on the Mike Novak show. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, I have a, a question and then a comment. Okay. I was under the impression that uh, biosolids were sold, composted biosolids were sold by the uh, city of Milwaukee under the name of Mill Organite. Yep, that's true. And the, and the second comment, or the comment, was that I recall my uh, father coming home from the war, talking about how they used to, uh, the locals used to collect the night soil on the base for their farm and gardens. Yeah, you know, and I will yep. say that Milorganite is a proud sponsor of the Mike Novak Show, and uh, I'm uh, happy to have them. Uh, on board, and I've been, I've toured their plant. I've talked to them about their process. <laughs> One of the things is they they fire up that uh, that furnace and they they heat the uh, the product to a point where the pathogens are destroyed. They have addressed heavy metal problems, uh, and uh, I I recommend the product. Yeah, well, I gotta say it was just that uh, it hasn't been used for uh, many many years. Um, and it's been sold for many years. It's been twenty years already. They've been in the market, place mm-hmm. with it. So uh, that was all. Did you have a question, Richard? Uh, no, that, that was it. Was my comment was uh, the question was a lot regarding Mill Organite, but then the, you know the other question was obviously I'm concerned with uh, uh, chemicals used or drugs. And I am as a part of our system. Yeah, you know? and, and and that is, and as we said earlier, that is something we need to address those those chemicals and, uh, right, and make I know sure. That. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, I appreciate uh, the phone yeah. call. Thank you for calling. Right. Um, all right. So I, I I do want to take one more. Can we get Otto? Um, all right. Um, I know that uh, Denny's talking to him because Otto had. Yeah, yeah. Otto in Englewood. Okay, Otto in Englewood. You're on the Mike Novak show. Good morning. Uh, I was telling you that I'm uh, uh, seven years ago I eloped with this wonderful woman down to Tobago. I'm a retired copper at the time, so now I'm 69, and I planted these beautiful hollyhocks out in the garden. And the the, the aroma from the hollyhocks used to waft into the kitchen while she was making breakfast, and she was so happy. She was so pleased to smell this aroma, you know. And then the Japanese beetles arrived. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I've tried sprays. I've tried the microbes. You know, I've tried, every, and they come back every year. And just, you know, hollyhocks come back every year. And every year they come, the Japanese beetles come back. And, and, and now they, just, they, they, they started destroying the, uh, guard, uh, the lawn in the backyard. What, what can you recommend that I can get rid of these things? You know, Japanese beetles are a scourge. There's, you know, just as gypsy moths are a scourge, just as emerald ash borer is taking out ash trees all over the country, uh, mostly in the Midwest right now. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff or Linda, who wants to address this? Um, I probably have to deal with Japanese beetles more than Linda does. I, I grew up in uh, Philadelphia, not too not too far away from where they're actually introduced back in the uh, teens and then went down to Georgia where they were also and now I'm in Minnesota where they're just coming in. So to get rid of Japanese beetles, um, you have to move. Uh, but <laughs> there, there, are, there are other choices. Um, first of all, never use a Japanese beetle trap unless it's uh, far away. Japanese beetle traps draw in more beetles than they catch. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Okay, good. You well, can. a lot of people aren't. A lot of people think, oh, I'll, ca- I'll capture the Japanese beetles. And what they're doing is they're attracting Japanese beetles. You know, put if you need a Japanese beetle trap, put it in your neighbor's yard, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, unfortunately, my, my next couple recommendations, uh, I've heard recently that there's a new product coming out that's based on Bacillus thuringiensis BT, which will affect the Japanese beetles. Um, haven't seen it yet. I believe it's supposed to be out in March. Uh, if I had a name for it, I'd tell you the name for it. Uh, but when that comes out, that'll be my recommendation because BT is a very safe, uh, organic insecticide, which is going to be effective on the Japanese beetles. Um, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I'm not a fan of this pesticide, there is a pesticide that is more effective and is going to be more rapidly effective. Um, there are systemic pesticides that are based on imidacloprid. Um, they will, I think it's a bare advanced shrub uh, protection. It will work, and it will work for a few weeks. It's very effective, but I don't like it because I consider it um, too, too toxic to the uh, environment or potentially too toxic to the environment. So I'm no fan of it, but I also, you know, as a, as a professor, I have to admit that it's out there and that, uh, and that it does work and works well. You know, that's a really good point, Jeff, is that, uh, and I do the same thing on my show. I, I know that there are these remedies out there, and often I don't like them. I, I, I would prefer that you deal with some damage to your plants rather than use some of these systemics and some of the other uh, synthetic chemicals that are being used. But uh, uh, as you say, your job as a professor is to tell people what's there. And, you know, if it hasn't been banned, uh, then you can use it. So um, there well, you what is, what is the name of this? And is it harmful to to pets? I have a box of pit in a, a yellow lab that roamed the yard. It's, uh, it's not particularly toxic to pets as long as it's used as recommended. You will need to keep them away from it when you first put it down, of course. Um, I can't remember the exact name of the product. I believe that it's bear, um, bear insect killer, bear shrub and tree, or uh, bear borer control. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But look for some of the bear products in blue packages, and um, it'll... And what was the new thing that you said is coming to market the bt the bt 
Um, and uh, that I really can't remember. And I, I just heard it a couple days ago, and I'm actually pretty excited about that because BT is a really good product. It's, uh, it's a slow killer, so it won't provide. Most people like to see, you know, insects dropping from their trees. Right. This won't do that, but it will be very effective. We all want it right now. Uh, Otto, I'm, um, uh, I'm going to thank you for your phone call, and uh, uh, good luck with uh, and, well, You know what I would suggest to you, Otto, real quick? Plant things that Japanese beetles don't like. That's like, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, it's, there, there are plants. And then it might not be hollyhocks, but uh, there are some other plants out there. If you go online and you can say Japanese beetle resistant, you will get an idea of some of the plants that they might not uh, favor. Uh, okay, okay, and thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, Otto, you, that was a great call. Thanks. We'll talk later, okay? Bye-bye. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, garden professors, you've been on longer than I thought, and uh, I want you back. Is it okay if you come back on the show at some point? Anytime. Oh, you bet. I'd, I'd love to have that. that. That's Dr. Linda Chalker-Scott, Jeff Gilman. Go to my webpage, MikeNovak.net. This week you'll get all the information about them, their books, the garden professors, the Facebook garden professors, and we will talk again very soon.